Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Canadian Story. Today, we are joined by the lovely Heather Prozac. Heather, welcome to the show. Why don't you just go ahead, introduce yourself, and tell us a little bit about who you are. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, I am a 20-year media, I guess you call me a veteran at this point. Um, I specialized in radio. Uh, I was on air. I should say I'm still on the air. Um, before a very big moment happened in my life. Uh, I'm on the air and I was a program director for a part of those 20 years. Um, my curiosity, if anyone knows me, uh, I am one of the most curious people. That, that is what makes a great media person. And that also took me to Ottawa during the convoy because I needed answers. I thought the only way to go um, and to find out those answers was to go there in person. After doing a video of what I saw, I was fired. Mm. Cole's notes wow. version, guys. That <laughs> <laughs> was very, I love it. I love it. So this is happening a lot. We're hearing about this kind of thing all over this country. Uh, Zach and I've interviewed a few people, people being actively suppressed. So you're someone who's been actively suppressed. Your voice has been pushed down by this mainstream pop propaganda machine, which refuses to allow dissent in anything around COVID. What do you think is going on? Isn't that the loaded question? It is the loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like to take it uh, to a more simpler, like I like to bring it right down to how we treat each other. I want to look at that first because I yeah. think what I witnessed over the two years um, was a lot of self indulgent messaging on social media, uh, stuff that made people feel good about who they were. And in, in that respect, attacking other people. And it made me really uncomfortable. So um, that's number one. Um, we were all in this together until we weren't. And then it was like, you're on your own. And that's, uh, for me, the messaging that's most concerning. Um, we're in this to get together, like literally in this together. And sadly, there are people that don't understand that. And there's just these attacks on both sides. And I think that you know, whatever the real story is, um, I know there's question marks I have with what the government's been doing right along. Um, I have questions about how the entire pandemic was handled. And I'm not the only one. And I'm not going to say that we should have handled it perfectly. It was unexpected. It was a pandemic. Um, some people like to go down different tunnels. I try to keep it simple because how else are we going to get out of it if we don't keep it simple and try to come back to that, um, how we treat each other? That's a really good way of looking at it. And I think we've really lost a sense of community as a society. There's a book called Coming Apart. I forget who wrote it it's somewhere here, but right. uh, but it's about how um, basically the lower class and upper classes have just entirely different values even now, right? And why is that the case? And we used to all go to church together and we used to all spend time together. We used to all go to the same schools. It was like, there was always a community despite wealth differences and, and often the cultural background. Differences. That was kind of the hope of Canada. What do you think has changed? Well, I think that this wasn't something that happened overnight, right? If I think about even how I grew up, 
I grew up with a hardworking family, just as they are today. The difference is social media was not there. You know, I was just coming into my, my late teens when social media was introduced, thankfully. Um, and then, you know, my parents' dinner, dinner time was a thing. And people might laugh at that. And I am not judging anyone that can't do that, by the way. I want to put that out there. But I think that family dinner time, that was something that was expected in our household every day. It wasn't just one or two times a day. And yeah, you'd get busy some weeks. But for the most part, we were having family dinners more than we were not, which meant there was the touch base with the parental figures. Um, I believe it's as simple as that. I truly do. And that sounds old school, I know, but maybe we need to bring some of that back. Well, yeah, we've talked about on the show numerous times the the intentional, I feel intentional, erosion of the nuclear family and the damage that that is doing to our society. Um, so it's interesting that you say, so how do you, how would you say grounding to a parental figure as a young person benefits that individual? Well, it's, it's simple because, you know, aren't we products of our environment? And if that environment, you know, I, I think about my experience. Um, I had someone before I left uh, my workplace. He said, do you regret what you did? And I said, no. And he looked shocked. And I said, because when it becomes about integrity and my morals, they will win no matter what. That's what having dinner at the time around the table with my family brought into me, that foundational stuff that you can't get from friends, you can't get from social media, can't get from TV. And so I think it's just that grounding and foundation truly that it's, you know, the saying, um, you will become who you spend the most time with. Hello. And so you hope your parents are great influences. You hope those parental figures are, right? That's um, really on them, I guess, right? They need to be that, right? Right, exactly. So, yeah. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. So I want to talk to you a bit about your time in media, what you loved about it, what it was like to be in Canadian media. Give people a picture of what it's well, the Canadian media landscape is like to work in. I'm sure you worked in it for, you said, 20 years, some 20 years. You must have loved it. What did you love about it? Like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what we need to get back to, right? Not just what we've lost, but where we're going. Yeah, I think that's so good. I like that forward momentum as well, even though it feels sometimes like we're stuck, right? Because doesn't it feel like oh, yeah. that? And then you just go, you're like, you're on a hamster wheel and we're talking about the same stuff. Um, I love, I still love media to this day. I think that uh, media, for me being a curious person, I'm able to go up to people and um, and learn about them, much like we're doing today, but in a, in a one-on-one setting or a group setting. So I really got into media to... Um, for the storytelling. And what I found was so much more. So radio has a lot more ad living. There's the sharing stories. There's the, there's the building storyboards. Cause guess what? Not everything is true in media. What? It's entertainment. And so I did love that about it as well, because there was that, that avenue of creativity that would go in. That was always based, supposed to be always based in truth, but to have a successful show, sometimes have to embellish a little on, on both sides. Um, if you're just learning that for the first time today, that is every media, every right. media. 
Yeah. yeah. And so um, as much as I, um, as much as I questioned that, I understood what the reasoning was for that. Um, we were entertainment. And if I told you about how I went and got my, my water and hot lemon and, and, uh, and I drank that this morning, wow, that'd be awesome to listen to. Um, however, if I, if I elaborated a little more and, and the story became a little bit more creative and more, um, you know, maybe I dropped the co- the cuff, uh, co- the coffee cup or something to that effect. Um, that just adds layers to the story. So I'm not going to say there's lying, but there is embellishing in media. And so um, I think for me, it was kind of that ability to be able to storyboard and say, oh, what could we do down the road? Can we do uh, where Heather talks about her dating life? Because that's what happens in media, right? You like plan uh, and you execute how to deliver things that that coincide with what's going on in your listeners' lives or within the market that you're on the air with. Um, I was always trying to be true to who I was, and then we'd see what we can build from that. So when I was, you know, when I would date, I would talk about the dating stories on the air. I would always take the fun stuff out of it, though. So when I talk embellishing, I would talk about the fun stuff. Um, and then what we do is, you know, maybe we turn that into um, uh, a speed dating night for listeners. So like there was just the sky was the is the limit in media. Um, the only thing with media is that there's so much power with it. And that's great. And that's also bad, depending mm. on which way you're going with that. Yeah, or where you're taking the power, I suppose. So go into that more. What what is where where is the power? You you spent this time in media. You've been on the front lines. You observed it. You're a curious person, so I'm sure you've kind of gone into the guts of it and figured out how it works. Where does the power of media lie? I always try to remind people that it's not those people that you see in front of the camera or that you hear behind the microphone that are in power. And you must remember that. So those are the first people that get attacked, right? They, they truly are. And sometimes rightfully so that people question what they're saying on the air, because there is power in that. Um, but when it comes to media, there is, depending on where you're working, I'm going to take news media out for a second uh, and just talk about music media. And when you're listening to your favorite station, there is a type of, we call it demographic that you're speaking to. And so there is a certain um, environment that you're creating for your listener. That isn't a bad thing. It's you're, you're, you're broadcasting to general masses. So you have to hone in on something. Uh, and so, so with that being said, um, that power that we're talking about and that I think you're going to, that power stems a little further back. And it goes back into the boardroom. It goes back to the program director who runs the station. All of that, there are so many levels to um, a station that what I was seeing over the pandemic, actually, which was quite interesting, is I was seeing people awaken to those levels. And I was starting to see emails coming in and they weren't directing now just to the on-air person. People were understanding they could message the program director and they're figuring out who it was. People were figuring out who the people in the corporate area were. And that for me was interesting. And I, I do believe that we weren't the only, uh, you know, um, station that was dealing with that. So I believe that people need to be held accountable no matter what they're doing. 
not lose your job accountable, but questioning, being able to be challenged. I really thought that that was a positive thing when I was seeing those emails coming in periodically because that meant people had questions they weren't scared to, to ask. And they were also looking at it going, something doesn't sit right with me. I have a question about this, right? Your program. Yeah. Right, right. Um, that, that brings up an interesting question. So you've been in media for 20 years now. Um, how, it, can you talk a little bit about how the landscape over those two decades might have changed? And then also... Do you feel like a drastic shift happened during or, or at the beginning of COVID in, in the way things were handled or was it pretty much par for the course? Oh my gosh, that's such a loaded question. When I got into media, this is funny, I was, I was 19 and um, everyone was scared of Sirius. Sirius was going to be the end of terrestrial Right, it's going to take everything over. It's done, done, we're done. <laughs> And uh, 10 years later, of course, that's not the case because people like, they like free, go figure. Um, there is no doubt that, that that is one of the, the competitors, but people at the end of the day still love their local. They love that component of knowing. So, so that was where it started. And for me, that scared me as someone without any experience. I was like, uh, if this is the way media is going, I need to learn everything so that I could jump to different, you know, different parts of media. And that is actually why I started to learn about programming and music directing and on air. Now I navigated over the, the 10 years and then, um, you know, I started programming as well as being on air. And then it started, you know, I think in the last five years, I would say, then it became about podcasting and you could always see, you know, as, as you, you need to learn how to pivot. And I think that radio is, is much better at doing it than TV um, where the pivoting starts where people, you know, um, you're in meetings and you're talking about like, should we do a podcasting element to our arm? Right. And you're, you're trying to bring these in. I don't know if it will ever work. I don't know if anyone's doing it successfully in, uh, in radio per se, because some people would just take their show and put it on there and that's not a podcast. So, uh, good luck to those that are doing it, but I think it's just a lot of, of time being spent on something that people won't listen to. Um, so that's where I saw it changing was, it was funny how it became serious and then it became podcasting. And, um, and then during the pandemic, a steep listener decrease, but I do say, um, what happened was their routine shifted. So it didn't mean they went away. It meant they went home and they were listening from a different source. You know, the, the, the Alexa, um, and they were listening later or at different times. And it was a really fascinating trend. So the weird part about the whole thing is we have numbers that we go by. Those two years were so confusing because you know, what was going to happen? Were people going to come back? And was that those, were those numbers going to go back to normal? Or as we're finding now, people want to stay at home. So what will that look like a year from now when we're looking at the trends? I don't have that answer yet, right? It's too soon to tell. But yeah, there was a, there was a drastic change. And of course, people were going more to TV because they were watching what's going on. The, the news releases were happening there. How do you think social media has changed the landscape of media as a whole? Well, isn't it interesting what it's doing? 
like, I should pose that question back to you guys because I think anyone could answer that one. Um, but what I think mainly what it's doing is it is holding people accountable to their belief systems and challenging their belief systems in a way that's never been um, challenged before. And what I mean by that is before mainstream media would say something and it was okay. But now there's all of this information that you can find. So if you find resources that are credible, and that's the key, um, a track record of credibility, you could go to them and it's almost like you could, you could still listen to mainstream and then go to that credible source and see if they align. The danger in what we're seeing now is they don't always align and they, don't, they didn't align in a very big way in February, 2022. Yes. So, yeah, so that's where it gets really uh, interesting, Zach, is, is I think there's that component, but then the other component is burnout because the information is like, okay, mm. and everybody has an opinion and everyone wants to voice it. And sometimes they don't voice it um, in a healthy way. So that, then you've got all kinds of things going on, but um, we're adults. So it's called self-regulation, right? You, if you need to shut down, like I have had to shut down over the two years, some of my social media and just go on a break. That's called being an adult. So I think that, um, you know, social media has just added good components, but also some bad components regarding mental health. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, the shutdown is huge. I don't do it periodically, but I can tell when I'm getting kind of to the end of my ropes and I, I feel myself starting to get worked up yeah. and it's like, okay, it's just time to set that down for a little bit. Stop reading the articles, stop trying to keep up with everything. Cause you just get on this little wheel that spins you yeah. around and around and around and gets you more and more charged up. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're miserable because you're so high energy about all this stuff. Um, I think because you wanted to pose a question back to us, I think, what social media has done, and we're still waiting to find out if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and just to speak honestly, I'm trending toward it being a good thing. But what social media has done is it has removed the barrier to entry for publishing information, publishing ideas, publishing your mm -hmm. own voice, right? So just any person, and I mean, we're an example of it. We it, the, To start a podcast was not a very steep learning curve to put out a tweet with uh, an information link or or something like that is even less of a barrier to entry and what you see now is this climate of you talk about credibility you see a climate of people who get engagement sometimes based on credibility sometimes based on their um embellishment as you were mentioning <laughs> previously well, right well um, and so what we have now is we have this climate, uh, climate where the internet has kind of turned into the wild west of information and we're figuring it out because it's crazy and like it's, that. and it's everywhere and you really have to be careful, um, and, and test your sources. Um, so I guess that would be my answer to that. Um, David, do you have any comments that you kind of want to slide into that? I think it's interesting comparing the kind of the Gen X, Millennial, and Gen Z experience with social media, right? Because we Millennials are kind of the bridge generation, right? Where we're, we're watching all of this. We, I remember very well a time before, as I'm sure you, Heather, do, and I know you do, Zach, uh, a time before social media, 
but but uh, I I spend a, a decent amount of time with people in Gen Z now, whether it's through campaigns or relationships or whatever. And I have to say, their relationship with social media is very different than mine. Right? Um, they they are far more cynical about information. Right? They're like they're and I I honestly I kind of think I agree with you, Zach. I think an element of this is going to become they're going to become very good at figuring out what's true and they're going to be very good at picking the signal out from the noise. Right. And actually I think in the long run, that's great for humanity because it's actually teaching us how to process information in a way that's beneficial and making us realize that when we're processing information, we have to process what's true and we have to align with reality. Right. So I agree with both of you, but I pose this question and I wonder if it's why we're where we're at belief systems, mm-hmm. belief systems mm-hmm. stem from the heart, right? Yep. And you need to be okay. If your belief system is challenged, you need to be okay. If someone comes in from a different perspective, I think I, be- I believe social media is good overall. I believe there needs to be some changes to the companies that own these platforms, but I believe the belief systems and the people that hold the social media accounts is what uh, need to be worked on. What does that look like? I have no idea, but I know that uh, through the two years to see people not being okay, being challenged and get angry and cut family and friends out has been, whoa, so shocking to me. Um, It happened to me. It's happened to people I know. And that to me is crazy because I am so okay being challenged with where I went, you know, like when I went to Ottawa, why I went, like, I am, I'm so okay with it. Uh, the question I have is why are some people not? I have a partial answer and it's, it's more complicated than what I have to offer currently. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I, I wish I could remember who originally was talking about this idea. Cause it's not my idea. I'm just reiterating it. Um, but he talked about might have been might have been Jordan Peterson, but I'm not certain. He talked about um, our inability to separate the person from the idea. And so when we get into these conversations, especially online, where um, because we're online and we're not directly in conversation with another individual who's in front of us, we forget some of our kind of unspoken social contract rules where you treat people with respect and you don't bully and, you know, it emboldens people because there are less consequences, right? But when you are incapable of separating the idea from the person on both sides, so from from the person who's coming in to, let's say, attack the idea, if that person can remember that they're attacking an idea and not a person, um, that's beneficial. And on the converse, if the person who is having their idea attacked can see that their idea is being attacked, not them personally. And granted, sometimes it is personally, and that's a right. whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this is this is a, a partial answer because it's we're, not fully we're, solved, we're ivory towering this, sitting, you know, just talking about ideas. How would I change that? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I think that's at least part of the solution. If we can recognize yeah. that if I disagree with someone, I disagree with their idea but that doesn't mean that they're a bad person, right? right? I believe that would begin to sow some of the division that we're seeing. And I want to I want to pull out a little bit of what you were saying more, Zach, which is totally true. We need to think about that from our perspective, but we also, I think the most important thing is not to become 
to attach your ego to ideas. And this is the problem I think with our entire society. And I'd love your thoughts on this, Heather, as someone who's spent so much time talking to people, Zach and I are only beginning our journey in talking to people. But what we've discovered, I would say, what I've discovered is that people, generally speaking, attach their own personal sense of well-being and identity to something external to themselves. Whether it's uh, belonging to a fan base of some hockey team, or it's your sexuality, or it's your race. It's, it's, I didn't choose my race. It has nothing actually to do with who I am, right? I was just born this way, right? However, yeah, I, we're now, I'm not, why would I choose that as the defining feature of who I am? Right. Right. Why, it, why? We're so much more than just exactly. one thing. Isn't that the truth? No, I, uh, I agree. And I think you, you put it so well. Um, I don't think I've paid attention to it as closely, or maybe it's just, you know, it's a pandemic and we really did just come and are coming through something uh, that they will be talking about in history class for years and years to come. And I hope both sides are represented in that. Um, so when what you're saying is so true, there's um, a level of, I'm a, I'm a complex individual. I'm strong. I'm vulnerable. I can be outspoken. Um, I can be respectful. But there's so many elements to who I am and what makes me tick. Why would you want to put one, yourself into one basket? Even and why me, would you want someone attacking that one, one part of who you are, yeah, only, one, only one, to to suddenly make you destroyed emotionally, yeah, and, and like be so fragile that you need a safe space? Like that is that is a not a a human who has integrated themselves into a place where they love themselves. Nobody loves themselves if they're so attached to an idea outside of themselves that that thing becomes what defines them. And I feel like, I feel like that's where we're lost is we don't know who we are anymore. It's really interesting. We're talking about this because I'm bringing it up again, because it, it, it fits in line with what you just said, David, it's about our belief systems, right. And yes. our, and our, yes. what we feel about ourselves. And, uh, and I, I do, mine was tested, you know, mine, I had to really check after, um, I left Ottawa and came home. It was, uh, it was a test that I wasn't expecting. I thought, you know, I have 20 years in the industry and I'd be able to discuss uh, what happened, why I did it. And didn't think it was a big deal to be curious because to me, I didn't put my identity in what was happening in Ottawa. I just went to see something because I'm like, something's not adding up here. And I'm in media and I'm saying that, you know, I'm, I'm seeing something on TV. I'm going to go there and see it for myself. And then I'm either going to be completely um, you know, the curtains will be pulled back and I'll be like, ah, there it is. That's what the media is talking about that I can, couldn't see on social media. Um, uh, but the exact opposite happened. So yeah, I think that if I didn't have my belief systems in check, whew, I do wonder where I would be right now. So and I'm not perfect. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm strong. Like it, it tested me. So why don't we roll back a little bit and tell that story? Um, so you're a 20-year veteran in the media industry. You're watching the TV. 
uh, during the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa and you're going, this is strange because I feel like I'm getting, again, it's the Wild West. There's this thing that I'm seeing on social media, but the thing that I'm seeing on TV is different. And so you made the choice um, as a media personality to go look for yourself, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I was seeing stuff and on uh, on the media, like in the media, and then, um, and I know a lot of these people, right? I'm friends with a lot of them. And uh, I would call them and be like, "Hey, I saw that story. I, I don't, I don't understand though, because I saw this over like the the research that I've been doing, which means just going to someone's Facebook account and seeing a live feed. Uh, it's it's showing exact opposite. Like, do you know this? And it was a very quick wave off. Like they they the per- people I talked to at the time didn't want to hear it." And I do believe that it was a very big thing that they didn't expect was going to be a big thing, right? None of us. Yes. Did. They thought, oh, a convoy is coming. Nobody's yeah. going to show up. I mean, remember that convoy that happened during, I forget when it was, two years before they came to Ottawa, they convoyed across. There was like 25, 30 trucks, right? I think that's what they all thought was coming. It must have been. I didn't even know about that one. So that's, you know, that's how small it was. Yes. yes. Was that the, were those the main It was organizers? over the pipeline, Bill C-69, the oil and gas industry. I love Canadian oil and gas. Like it was that kind of, that group. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I yeah, didn't even so, know that happened. <laughs> no. Yeah. My only reason I know is I was there and they came from Alberta. So from my home area. So yeah. Mm. But it was nothing, right? It was, it was a small convoy. Right. Yeah. And because none of us heard about that one and maybe there were certain people that did and just assumed, no, this is going to be the same thing. I'm not sure. Um, since it was the first time I saw it, uh, I remember seeing it on social media. Uh, they were coming into Calgary Sunday night and I was so curious. I was going there Sunday night because I'm like, this is crazy. Like what is going on right now? All I remember is coming from Edmonton, there were people having the live feeds and it just kind of started populating uh, in my newsfeed. And so instead of ignoring it, I wanted to understand what was happening. It's not every day you see that kind of, those kind of trucks coming through, right? Uh, and then they took over the next day in the Southeast part of the city. And I had to be on air that morning. And so I don't know, I just knew there was something about this that I needed to know more about it. And for me, it was because of the families that were coming out. Like for me, I didn't understand. I've never seen if it was, you know, media wasn't talking about it, but there were families that were making these posters and bringing their kids out at 6 a.m. to support this thing. And I thought, man, this is kind of, um, what? And also I love new things. So I'm like, let's figure this one out. What's this about? Because it seemed really happy. People were hugging and people were talking about, you know, um, being lost for two years. So I thought this is, I could get behind happiness. Let's figure this out. And, uh, and so I, I got off the air on Thursday. So they had almost a week to set up in Ottawa. And I actually had two weeks off that were scheduled well before not knowing anything. So it was just like the perfect storm. I'm going to call it because of what happened after. So, um, on Thursday morning, I get off the air and I'm like, why would I not go to Ottawa? Yeah, This is like this life that's huge, right? Yeah. You have so many questions that week that they were in. I had more and more questions because of what I was seeing on me in media versus social media. 
you know, the, the live feeds that are just like giving you a headache watching it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go in. And uh, I didn't tell anyone. And I guess that should have been my first alarm as to, you know, um, how serious this was because I actually was going in not to talk about anything. I was, I would, or not to tell anyone I wanted to go come back. And the idea was to have conversations like this, maybe not on a podcast, but like over dinner or coffee and uh, knowing some of the conversations I'd had before I left with some of my friends in media, I thought I'm going to be able to share with them the truth, whatever the truth is, we'll see. And um, so before I left, I started hearing about, you know, all the negative stuff, you know, dangerous place, um, everything actually that would have been said about the convoy um, that has now been, has proven to be incorrect. Okay. The arson stuff, all of this stuff. And so before I left, I called the place that I was staying. Cause I decided I was going to stay right downtown, right where the horns were honking. I was going to embed myself in it. So I really understood what this was and what everybody was talking about. So I call the hotel and I talk to this woman and I will never forget this. Cause I had this moment Friday to not go because of what I was hearing around me, the noise. And the noise was saying it's dangerous to go. No one going to Ottawa. So I call a front desk clerk because surely they're not going to want some random woman coming in as well, right? They're going to try to stop it. And I say, I have a question for you. Um, I'm coming to see family. Uh, I'm staying in the hotel. Is there any reason that I should be concerned about that? I know that there's, um, there's quite a lot of trucks in that area. And she laughs and she goes, I have been doing this for 50 years. Or she said, I've been in Ottawa for 50 years. I have been doing hospitality for the majority of my career. I have never seen nicer people and you are more than safe here. And that's when I was like, okay, this is wild. You can challenge yeah. it and said, well, she wants your money right? That's her job. But Oh, right, right. Yeah, you know, you're always going to find someone trying to challenge it. Those people don't want your money. They're literally working at the front desk of a hotel. They don't <laughs> care if you come or not. <laughs> so I go because I'm like, well, this is, you know, uh, Sandra at the front desk is like, this is a great time. This is the biggest protest I have ever seen in my life, though. And we have a lot of protests. And mm -hmm. so uh, I go down and um, very quickly find out what's going on. Um, you know, an, an every child matters hockey game that they're raising money for on one end of the street. Um, two, two women on stage talking about freedom. Uh, and I hate it cause I don't usually talk about color. Like color is just, I just don't, but I found myself having to say this more and more like two black women on stage talking about freedom, you know, um, so many nationalities were there. So remember, I went there for because I was curious, right? And so I get to my hotel, I get, I get out to go explore. And the first thing I see are the two women within a minute and a half. A minute after that, I see the every child matters hockey game. After that, I see truck drivers of, of very different backgrounds culturally. And I'm like, and, and I actually said uh, to one of my friends, I said, so what, how did I just find this in five minutes? Like, how, how did I get to like one of the things that were being discussed? 
as a negative about this. Right. And I found out about it in five minutes. So and then I started just following the media and seeing how different it was so that I could truly understand if it was or if I was, um, you know, just a little bit in my own world when I was back in Calgary. And um, yeah, the the differences were appalling. I, I still, you know, I just will always be shocked. Like I actually, I, I'm at a loss for words how completely different the media updates were versus what was actually happening there. Like I'm in media and I'm going, what is happening right now? And uh, after talking to the truckers and like, I stayed there five days. It was incredible. Us, what was it like? Tell us, give us, give us some observations apart from comparison. Like I, we've talked to a few people who were like, they said it was the happiest moment of their life. We've talked to people who was like utterly life-changing. Everyone yeah. was so loving. What was the ethos? Uh, I think the, I think for me, it was the tension in the air because of what they were talking about, which was anti-mandates, the frustration that something so simple was not being conveyed. The truth that it was being twisted. And then all of this bounty castles, like you're like, what's going on? So a, a little bit of it was just like this, this, you could see in the truckers faces, they'd been there for five days by the time or six days by the time I showed up. And there was this level that people, or there was this message that people like the media and, and others were saying that they were staying there because they wanted to. And anyone I, I talked to, they were exhausted. They're like, we just want to go home. Like, we don't know why no one will talk to us. And that for me was like, why isn't this ha handled in a much better way? Like, what? why is there just communication? We're Canadians. This is democracy. Come on. Yeah. And then the confusing part for me, but the most concerning was, you know, I would, I'd FaceTime friends. So quietly, I'd be FaceTiming them. I wasn't planning on doing anything with it. And I'd FaceTime friends saying, you know, look at this. And I'd, I'd share with them and they were, they had no words. They're like, that's not what we heard today. I'm like, I know. I said, I just wanted to FaceTime you. You need to understand what I just went through today and who I've talked to in the stories. So I, yeah, that I would say life-changing is how I felt because of the atmosphere was about community, but it was about truth. And, and you could see in the back end it getting twisted. So it was just a whole mixed messaging happening. And unless you were there or you truly believed someone that was there, um, that would be the only way that you would find out what was really happening, which is like, when has that happened before? Probably more times we like to admit. I know. <laughs> A lot of embellishment going on in the world. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I wanted to ask a question. Um, so you're seeing this stark contrast between what you were visually seeing with your own eyes, boots on the ground in Ottawa, and what is being reported. Um, and I'm... I'm definitely not asking you to bring up any names, but you must have had conversations with other media personalities in the industry 
um, who were maybe involved in some of this reporting. Did you have those conversations? And and are you able to talk about any of that? Like, how did you approach that with your colleagues and your peers? Uh, it started before I left, actually. Yeah, I did. Um, I got hated, to be honest. Um, and not from my standpoint, but from theirs. So before I left, I, I saw a story and I called person. Uh, we'd been friends for 20 years. We started out in the industry. I said, I just saw your story. Like, what? What was that? And they're like, what? And, and, and that was for me, the really shocking part was I don't think that they were playing, you know what I mean? And, uh, they were a they journalist. They believed what they were writing. I think they believed it. And so then I would say, you know, where did you get your resources from? And they're like, what do you mean? Where am I getting the resources? Where everybody's getting the resources? And I'm like, yeah, but your, your facts are incorrect. Like, right, I, right. I just did a quick hour long deep dive on this specific thing. And like, do you, and I actually said, like, do you want the pages so you can follow it because it's live? Like they're, they're yeah. not actors, you know, they're not actors and um, they didn't want it. So that was actually why I went to Ottawa because the curiosity really got me. Like I thought, well, if, if I'm not going to get it from there, I need to get it from the source of what's happening down there. Um, once I got down there, to be honest, um, there were some media people that um, are no longer talking to me and they were very clear about it when I was down there. So that's sad. Um, I wish them well. I'm not mad. I have no idea why anyone would get so angry with someone that they would cut them out of their life. Um, but there was uh, some of that and then the rest stayed quiet, mm. which is hard. I would like to believe that those people, it's just because maybe they're in debt. Maybe they've got a few things going on. Like people are people. We all got, we all have struggles, right? Yeah. So maybe that's why they stayed quiet. Like we're never going to know. Uh, but yeah, it ranged. So to answer your question, um, yeah, sorry, that was a long answer, but it ranged from, from defiant to like, you're thinking, oh my goodness, this person covers more than this story. Like what else are they defiant about and just putting their own bias on it um, to uh, where did they get it from? Who, you know, why can't we talk about this? Uh, so then it gets into the, again, your political opinions and why is that okay to have one side versus the other? And is that even, is the role of media to have a political opinion? I used no. to, I used to believe that it was actually the opposite of their role, right? Is that uh, it's, it's just a strange world we live in. That's actually something I'd, I'd love to finish on. I think we've got about 10 minutes left here, right, Zach? Um, the mainstream media is dying. Right, we we're all witnessing its its death. None of none of the companies are profitable anymore. Now, radio might be a little bit different, I imagine, but uh, like CTV, post media, none of them are making money. Right, the Calgary Herald's not making money. None of them are making money. They're all poor, broke, losing money. They're all being propped up by government funds. What is it like to be working in a dying industry? And now that you're out of it doing your own thing, do you have a different perspective on it than you did when it was when you were in it? Well, you know what? I'm I'm um luckily for me, I started coming to the realization of what was going on earlier. Uh, but I think it expedited 
it it expedited how I saw everything. Like, I I don't think I was going to come to where I'm at today if it wasn't for the pandemic. Um, I never really thought about the federal funding. You know, I, I knew CBC got it in a big portion, but it wasn't until the pandemic hit where I started seeing the federal government giving all media it. Um, and I don't think that's right. I, I truly don't. And I, I think that there are some amazing people in media, but I just don't think that that's the way it should work because then that's when you have the problems that we are seeing today. Because I still think about my only regret, my only regret, if I can just throw this in, um, I get asked if I regret because I posted a video from the convoy, I couldn't be quiet about it. I needed to share the truth about what I saw, just what I saw. I didn't get political because I didn't need to. I wasn't, I'm, I'm actually not a political person. And uh, even though I go to one of the most polarizing events, just out of curiosity. So <laughs> I go in the, I go and I post this video about what I saw and I don't regret the video. Um, however, what I will always regret is not being able to go on the air in Calgary to just share what I saw because there was going to be something so magical in that. I still feel that because my, uh, you know, whoever would have been on the air with me at that time would have taken a different approach because everybody was. So for me, that's where the magic would have happened because you actually, for the first time in a long time would have had both sides represented. So we, I think we, I think we need to fill in some context there. Why were you unable to go on the air in Calgary and talk about it? (laughs) Thank you for that. It's in my head, but not in yours. Um, I was fired after doing a video on my personal social media and the video is still up on Heather Prosak, um, my Instagram. Um, The video was just a 10 minute interview or a 10 minute video of me walking down uh, past parliament, talking about my experiences, my, um, who I've talked to, what I've seen. And really that was it. And, uh, and then I was uh, taken off the air and fired. So um, that's where the regret comes in that there, I still know that that, that, that break that as conversation we call it, would have been, been wow. Yeah. It would yeah. have been great. Yeah. So what are you doing now? What's, what's your story? What's the, what's the next part of uh, Heather's journey? Well, I launched something I've always wanted to do. I've, uh, I've launched uh, my company, Knowledge Media. And so you can find it at knowledgemediacorp.com. Uh, we have a couple different facets. Uh, the first is the podcast. So I get to talk to interesting people. I'll probably get you guys on next time. Oh, that'd know. be great. <laughs> yeah, like it's so great. The people that I've been able to um, find their stories. And of course, a lot of it's pandemic related because we can't ignore the obvious, but so many amazing people have joined me on my show. Uh, and so there's that part. Uh, the other part with it is I'm doing speaking engagements. I have one coming up called overcoming adversity. And so that's taken me into this whole new realm of coaching and helping people be okay with who they are and not feeling like they can't speak out, not up against just speak out and be themselves. Um, and then the other part is uh, I'm doing coaching on media how to right. make sure your I mean, message you comes years across. Experience. You're the master of your craft. <laughs> yeah. So it's got me into uh, a few different worlds that I never expected I'd be in, but I'm meeting so many people through it. So um, I love when people reach out knowledgemediacorp.com if you want to reach out to me and uh, yeah, it's fun. I don't know where the future, you know, where the future leads me. Uh, I never in a million years thought that I would be fired for something 
that I put up on my social media. I'm a company person through and through. I'm a team player. Right. So right. anyone that really knows me is like, what? Uh, but isn't that- It just goes to show the absurdity of what's going on right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that uh, the people can't even be curious anymore. Yeah, that is going to be, uh, that will always go down for me as like the big question mark. Yeah. Can I ask you one more question before we go? Yes. Um, what do you think is the mechanism or the machine driving the active suppression of the question? So all you did is you posted a firsthand account of what you saw and you didn't politicize it. You didn't make any, I mean, I haven't looked at the video, but I'm, I'm assuming you didn't make any specific claim. You just said, this is what is in front of me, right? And you were actively and intentionally snuffed out for that. What is that driving force doing that? Well, doesn't it always lead back to the dollar? Kibono, who benefits? And, and, and through that, though, there's a lot of people who also have careers on the line. And so I don't know what happened after my video was posted. I do, I can tell you it went viral and was seen in different countries because they reached out to me. So how many views did it get if you don't mind us as a it, it kind of went everywhere. So one YouTube channel had almost 5,000 views, or sorry, I'm sorry, uh 500,000 views. Um, that's one wow. YouTube channel. And then there was a woman that took it on TikTok and um she had like 70,000. So then there was like this person sent it to me, it was in Dutch. And so, I mean, like, it, it's kind of, I think because I was just sharing my heart and my experience that it just really touched people in different yeah. ways. So I don't think I'm ever going to be uh, getting the exact number uh, because it's all over the place, but uh, it definitely was seen by quite a lot of people. And wow, yeah, I, I think money, but I also think that there's a level of there's a level to the industry that, you know, I had people say, well, what did you expect if the company has an idea in mind um, and how they, they want to handle something? Why did you think you could say something different? And I'm like, well, they never said that we couldn't speak this way. Actually, media, ultimately, let's go back to that, is about sharing both sides of the story so yes. that all sides are represented. And so if we're going to get right down to simplistic terms, which is where I like to go with everything, that's what media was really about. We're not there. Yeah. Maybe we can get back there. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Even, even if we have to burn the mainstream media to the ground. <laughs> I see Zach is the excessive one in the yes, room. Yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we, we got to get going on to our next one here, but so good to have you, Heather. Thank you for standing up. Thank you for speaking the truth that you saw, despite, uh, <laughs> despite the obfuscation and embellishment by your colleagues. <laughs> It was great having, uh, it was great meeting you guys and great being on. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The CAD Story. That's The CAD Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great our country is.